keep talking, asking elected officials and government people to step up and listen. And we have had 100% support on all of our broadband work from every commissioner, every city administrator, every township has voted unanimously to support this stuff. Welcome to episode 446 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rye Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. We caught up with what's been happening in LeSueur County, Minnesota, a few weeks back and the path they're on to turn the county from being one of the least connected in the land of 10,000 lakes to one on track to becoming among the most connected in the next couple of years. In this week's episode, Christopher talks with Barbara Dreyer-Klein, a county consultant who helped organize the recent broadband efforts, partly as the result of her experience in moving to the county and being stuck on dial-up with fiber connectivity right next door. She shares with Chris the history of their recent efforts at bringing area communities together in the rolling hills and river valley, of southeastern Minnesota, and the resulting partnerships with local internet service providers to do both fiber and fixed wireless projects. Chris and Barbara end the conversation by briefly discussing the recent Rural Digital Opportunity Fund auction and the adverse consequences it's having in places like Lesueur. Now here's Christopher talking with Barbara. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with uh, another Minnesotan working in a, in a community that really has figured out a smart approach that we want to share with other people. Uh, we're going to speak with Barbara Dreyer-Klein. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And I realized I, uh, as we were talking, I didn't ask you um, how I should identify you. Um, so you are um, uh, the sewer um, uh, concerned citizen, I suppose. But um, what's the proper way to, to identify you? Well, and my role now is uh, I'm a consultant to the county. I started out as a volunteer and I became a consultant to them earlier this year. And what is your background? Uh, grew up in Minnesota, moved to California for 16 years, worked in child welfare, burnt out completely, came back, and I was the Leaser County Human Services Director for three years, worked in Hennepin County for eight years, moved back to Northern California, and uh, moved back here five years ago to, to intentionally moving to Leaser County, and now I'm self-employed as a financial advisor. So Leaser is the proper way yes. to pronounce it? Well, no, it's a 50-50 split. You hear it both ways. <laughs> so it's Missouri, <laughs> Missouri. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you, uh, I think the claim to fame that um, that we want to talk about is how you've gone from uh, a county that has been among Minnesota's worst connected, um, not the absolute worst, but pretty close to it, to developing plans, having multiple projects now and being on the way to being one of the better connected counties, it seems like. Um, so paint us a little picture of what it was like when you moved back to the county. So we uh, renovated an old farmhouse and um, it was a bank owned. It was pretty tough shape. And actually, the Minneapolis Tribune did a great article about the renovation. And it wasn't until we moved in and I started to set up my office here that I realized that I had frontier dial-up for internet. My plan was to have a home office. And um, that's how I got started with looking at the internet issues. I was surprised to find that my neighbor had Bevcom fiber. And I, because I was in telephone territory of frontier, I had dial-up. And Bevcom is a is a local provider that yes. um, that is uh, operates in a, a number of different communities, but is uh, it's a Minnesota company. 
Yeah, they're the telephone company here initially, and they've now branched out about another telephone company. They, they're primarily Minnesota and Wisconsin. And the, the county is primarily um, kind of ag producer areas. It's, it's pretty low density. It's got several population centers that are that are pretty small. But uh, and it's, yeah. it's it's if I remember correctly, it's uh, it's got some nice uh, rolling hills and uh, and a valley. In it. Is that right? <laughs> yes, rolling hills, lakes. The Minnesota River runs down one side of it. All of it are big challenges when you're doing broadband planning. <laughs> <laughs> some of those townships are more expensive to dig in than others. Yeah, sometimes people have a perception that every place is uh, is flat, like the alluvial plains in uh, in Louisiana, and it's not the way it is <laughs> up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and another part of that challenge is that our county seat is Lee Center, which is the middle of the county. It's very small, and so the drift is outward as opposed to inward, and that's one of the things we're working on with our planning processes. How do we learn more about ourselves as a county? Because the messaging is all from the outside, not from the inside. Now, what does that mean exactly? So um, the northern part of the county listens to Twin Cities, radio, TV. The, the southern part, Mankato. Mm-hmm. The, some, the western part may be Faribault and, and uh, some drift to Northfield. And then the uh, western part is um, much more of a no, no person's land. <laughs> sure. It can be difficult to get people on the same page then. Yes. You, you don't. So something can be happening five miles from you and you have no idea about it because we don't have any internal communication capacity at this point. We're, it's something that we're working on. So let's talk about then you have dial up. Um, you know that you have decent access very close to you. Uh, what do you do about it? Part of my background is that as a volunteer in California, I was a community organizer. I lived in a canyon three miles down a dead, a dead end road into the park system. And I organized my neighborhood and my community work with the county to do fire mitigation work. And when I came back here and I saw the split, I, I thought, you know, we, I could take that same approach and do some organizing here maybe. And the, my county commissioner was my horse veterinarian. And, he, and I started to talk with him about it. I ran for office in 2018, lost, but did a lot of door knocking, met a lot of people and heard broadband, healthcare broadband, healthcare broadband, healthcare broadband. So even before the election, mid-2018, I went to my commissioner. I said, let's just start working on this. Let's just, so that's how we got started with the Blendon Foundation. I wrote our first grant proposal in May of 2018. And from there, we've been on a path of organizing. It's really been great. Let's talk, we'll take them chronologically one at a time. And the first one, I believe, is is the BevCom, uh, a partnership that um, that I found pretty interesting. Um, so let's, let's step through that then. How did that come to be? Well, um, early in 2018, I went to a Region 9 planning conference. And Region 9 is a is an organizing uh, rural group that helps supports counties and the work that they do in very many different aspects. And that's where I met Bill Eccles from Bevcom. That's where I met the uh, Jaguar Metronet people. That's where I met um, the Blandin people and started realizing that how the telephone territories were a barrier to getting broadband, which was just fascinating to me. And um, I also met Bill Eccles and found out that and talked to him about being a quarter mile away and we paid to have it run to our house. We were very lucky it was that close that we could afford to do that. But I just couldn't give up on all the things that I'd heard about the limitations and the stories and the 
So we kept working on it starting in the, the summer. Blandon sent to us a consultant, Bill Coleman, who gave us the background of what to do, how to start thinking about it, how to start working together. We had a provider meeting, all the providers that were fiber providers we met with. And some of them told us, we're not gonna do anything and don't come into our area. If, if you do a, a state grant, we'll challenge you. So not gonna do it, not gonna work with you, but we'll challenge you. Right. So it took some work to get um, BEVCOM to agree to do the, that first border to border application and challenge Frontier was the, was the territory that he was challenging. A te- it makes no sense to me. It's a telephone area, so what? You have to do a formal challenge because they have rights to do broadband because they were your telephone company. But um, nobody's been able to change that. So that's the world that we're in. Um, state after state, believe me, it's it's rigged in favor of companies that have refused to invest for decades. They get the right to try to prevent others from building a network that they will not. It's infuriating. And uh, you're right. You said it exactly right. That's the world we live in. Yeah. Okay, so so you're able to partner then with BevCom to go to the state for the border to border grant, which often provides as much as fifty percent of the the money for a project. Uh, how did that actually work out? Well, let me back up for a minute and add that that fall, the fall of 2018, uh, five of us went up to the Blandon conference, and we were locked in a windowless room for two days, learning about feasibility studies. And, and Bill Coleman was actually really upset because we only had four people. So I asked Bill Eccles to join our group and he did. <laughs> so we were locked in a room for two days too. He's been, because they're a small family Minnesota business, he's been a terrific resource to us in consultants about not just what his companies do, what other companies are doing and stuff like that. So we've had a great partnership with him from uh, the fall of 2018. So coming into 2019, we looked at what was possible. And actually, Jaguar, which is now Metronet, also did an application. But we worked really hard with them on mapping out the area, which which the first applications were the northern part of the county. And I want to add that it was uh, John King, my horse veterinarian county commissioner, who said, we're going to go out and talk to the township. So part of making ours a strong application was local funding. And so John got into his head that we were going to go out to the townships and have them pay back half of the of the dollars that the county were going to put in. And um, they unanimously agreed to that. It was two townships at that time. And um, when those houses are hooked up this spring, we're going to the county will get a bill at the end of this year. And uh, the townships are going to pay half of that back. Getting that local engagement it was not only key to our a stronger application, but it also got everybody buzzing at the local level. And so we're at a point where every township in our county we've talked to about broadband and they're and they're connected. Is it is it correct then that what happened is that the state effectively is paying half of the price of that project and then yes. Bevcom is paying about twenty five percent and then the county is paying twenty five percent? Like how does it how does the public's the 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 non state part break down? I don't, ha- I don't have the exact numbers. The county share is less than that. Uh, less than, I would say that the county share is like maybe 10% and then Babcom and then 50% from the state and then the rest is Babcoms. For the area that we're doing with the spread out and the cost, it's, it was well worth it. It's certainly advantageous to us. But it wasn't mm-hmm. any mad formula of percentage. It was, this is how much we can afford, figure it out from there. Yes. So for us, it was 300,000. And okay. 150000 that will be paid back 
from the town by the townships over 10 years, no interest. Okay. So of uh, the total project, the county is covering per about 10% and half of that is coming from the townships. Correct. Yep. That sounds like a very good partnership. Um, it, it, it's, it was terrific. Interestingly though, there, there were some households taken out. The first group was taken out because of CAF2 funding. There's a small pocket there of dollars that were awarded to um, one of the big companies for CAF2 funding. Those households were taken out. I'm trying not to ground my teeth right now. <laughs> I know, I know. And so they still haven't done anything. They, they, and we talked to them. They're saying two years out, they're going to they're gonna spend that money. They haven't done anything. Um, and then the other piece was another telephone company. There were households at the very edge of, of that planning group that was a different telephone company that had publicly told us, don't challenge us. We will challenge back. So the, we, we, did, we dealt with the frontier telephone. So there were households there that um, were not included because they were in a different telephone district. And it would have made sense to have included them, but we could not. Mm-hmm. So then I want to I want to move on and I want to know you've mentioned Jaguar a couple times as well as Metronet and for folks who aren't aware Jaguar was a fantastically innovative company that invested in a lot of places in rural Minnesota. Um, Donnie Smith, a uh, friend of mine, uh, was uh, was a principal of it and uh, they were purchased recently by Metronet, which is uh, building out in some areas of of southern Minnesota, which is uh, increasingly a national uh, company doing doing broadband. So um, so they're one of the partners that will be we'll be talking about and you may hear both of those names jaguar and metronet um but so let's talk about then the pandemic comes and um and you um just talk about how you were prepared for it. not that you knew that it was happening obviously but what things you had done so that when cares act money became available uh you already knew um and the county already knew what they could put together well there were two things that happened at the beginning of of last year the beginning of last year we initially planned to do our new border-to-border application with both Metronet and Babcom. And the county was going to be, we were going to write the grant proposal so that we wouldn't have the two competing against each other. But with Jaguar being sold to Metronet, there was too much uncertainty there. So we split it back out into two, each of you do. And they, they, they worked together in terms of parallel map planning and stuff, but we didn't do a joint one. But that was the beginning of, the, of 2020 is to have that joint meeting of what, what we were going to do and what we we're going to look at. Both providers in the same room with us. Uh, and then in February, we all got in a car and we drove up north again <laughs> with Landon. This time, we became a Blandon broadband community. And that means a $75,000 grant to work on broadband enhancements and use and supporting communication issues, kind of using the technology. And uh, the pandemic hit, and but we in June had a virtual meeting with 70 people that um, all over the county looking at all these issues. And we came up with projects that we were going to be working on. Internet for the fairgrounds, improving the communication from the county of all these projects. I feel like we should also note Blandon is not something that 
many people outside of Minnesota are aware of unless they work in, in philanthropy because uh, the Blandon Foundation um, works to to build a, a stronger, greater Minnesota. It is a wonderful foundation that has worked uh, with a focus on broadband for many years. Uh, and I should say that they have um, they've given us funding at the, in the past. We've received grants. So um, so there's uh, just being transparent about it. But I have found their work, um, Bill Coleman's work with communities. And I will just note that in my experience at their conferences, they are usually in beautiful settings with nice windows that are distracting. So I would say that um, we shouldn't we shouldn't give the idea that all of their events are held in windowless areas. <laughs> <laughs> Only when you talk about feasibility studies. Right. Right. That's the that's the area where they don't want you distracted at all, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So then so you were describing how you were using the the Blandon funds and and then the um, the pandemic hits. Yep. So we had our projects lined up from our broadband planning. And and as I said, I had been a department head. I ran a large department in Hennepin County. So this $3.7 million comes in and the county administrator, and I have a good relationship with all the townships now and, and uh, the county board and, and uh, city administrators. So the county administrator asked me if I would work on the CARES Act budget, if I would create the planning group, work with the departments, come up with ideas about how we could use the CARES Act dollars, not just for broadband, but for other kind of infrastructure things. And I had started as a consult, a paid consultant at the beginning of the year. So we switched off of Blandon funding and switched on to CARES Act funding in terms of, of uh, my time and some other consultants that we brought in. Another key consultant in that was uh, Carl Mink from the Tri-City Schools, who is their uh, IT guy, has been involved with our Blandon work all along. And he came in with the eyes on how can we what can we do between July 1st and December 1st to build out our infrastructure better and address some broadband issues? So it was hard running every day <laughs> talking to broadband providers and seeing what we can do. And one very cool thing that we that worked out is I mentioned this, some of the other telephone area households that couldn't be included in our border to border grant. We use CARES Act dollars and we got 12 more households hooked up. Uh, Babcom's out there digging fiber, running by those houses. <laughs> and the township used their CARES Act dollars for 12 more homes to be added into the original proposals. So that that was very cool. There's a lot more out there that need to be added in, but we got those that low-hanging fruit done. We worked with very closely with Metronet. And because of capacity issues, that was really all Bebcom could do with us because they were already out digging for uh, border-to-border stuff for this past year. So with Metronet, uh, we ended up working with them and giving them just over $500,000. And they put their own money into, and we ran fiber from Rice County, straight across the middle of the county between north, north and south all the way over to St. Peter. We dug fiber. It was in the ground by December 1st. They're now in the process of building that out. And um, we also did some towers. We hadn't done tower fixed wireless before. And as you know, there's huge reliability issues, but we found a provider that had been doing some work in uh, Scott County and worked with them to do some towers uh, around the county. And that's that was up and the devices up on the towers by December 1st. And I believe that was NetWave. And when you say towers, yeah. you're, you're also including uh, water towers and a sheriff's tower, I noticed. Yes. Oh, let me add one more thing about yeah. what we do with the CARES Act dollars. So a, a part of our planning group was emergency services. 
We got cradle point devices for all the emergency, the fire ambulances so that they, and we've got Chromebooks for them so they can be out in the county having access to the internet. And we bought three years ahead of the technology to, to pay for the service itself. But we got cradle point devices on emergency vehicles. We spent 32,000 getting internet access to our fairgrounds, which we'll be using for vaccinations come spring. We did some campgrounds. We just really stretched our minds and did everything we could by December 1st in the ground to get better access to the internet out there. And that, so there, and we also bought some emergency vehicle devices for people who, with uh, heart attacks and respiratory issues. We bought two of the expensive devices, trained people on it. We just hit the ground running as a group, met every week. And we actually, our last meeting was last week. We met every week, figuring out what could we do and using the relationships that Carl had from TCU to w- work with some of these providers and built out as much as we could in that short amount of time. What is a cradle point device? That's a Carl main question. It's a <laughs> device that you put on top of an emergency vehicle so that you have internet access with for your Chromebook. Okay. Boat landings. You didn't mention boat landings. That's one of the other spots, right? We tried. <laughs> oh, did that that didn't happen. We tried. We got into issues with the DNR. We got into issues about electricity. Oh, I'm going to talk to my wife about that. She works for DNR. <laughs> oh, yeah. We tried. We tried. Couldn't get it done. <laughs> but we did get some of the county parks done. One of the lessons that I took away from from this and learning about what you've done is that um, something the <laughs> classic whenever you hear anyone say that you know this thing that was unexpected proves everything that I already believed you should be suspect but um, but one of the things that, that you and I mentioned um, leading up to this is that um, you were prepared for this and and I feel like one of the lessons that communities should take away is that even if they don't know where money's going to come from even if they don't have a state program like the border to border fund they really need to have these conversations and be prepared because you had a structure that could act immediately as soon as those CARES Act dollars were made available. And so I'm curious if you can just reflect on that a little bit. The big learning to me is to think outside the box and have bring in minds that are outside the box. I think that Carl and, and my presence in particular and our leadership, because we have a different view of the world, made such a difference. Most counties looked at it, talking from the department perspective, what each department does, we did an entirely different budget based on what the community needs were and figuring out and then and didn't do departmental budgets. We did a CARES Act budget that was based on what the community needed and then backed it out into departments. It's challenging to find leadership and people that can come in and bring those ideas in. But boy, hook people up because and we learned we've met a lot of people virtually on our uh, Zoom call last June that we're going to be following up with this spring to do continue with the with the Blandon work because the, the people we met on those Zoom calls were amazing and professors and doctors and lawyers and architects and tech people and a, a giant firecracker factory that's over by <laughs> my house as it turns out I didn't know it was there you know so th- that mapping of who's out there and what's available to you is really part of it and in fact one of the things we're going to be doing next is Uh, We're talking with the Southeast Minnesota Initiative Foundation about doing an asset map of our businesses in the county. We don't have a county uh, economic development authority. We have city ones. 
And so that's the next phase of this too, is funding these small businesses and the needs that they have. And there's just, we're gonna do a better job of mapping out who's here and then bringing those people in and hearing what they have to say and getting new perspectives is really, really important. How did the the professors and the firecracker folks, how did you all become aware of each other? Under Blandon again, we did our first survey. We started our survey. We've now had survey results from almost a thousand households in the county. And I did a constant contact list of emails from that and send out regular communications. That's probably the biggest one. But also we did some ads and we did some um, Facebook stuff. We did a lot of networking, trying to hook up with people. Uh, but it was challenging getting the word out that first time. I think the the last question this line, it goes back to even before you had the Blandin fund, funding, when when you were starting to reach out, how, you know, you said you reached out to your, um, your horse vet and county commissioner. And um, how else, I mean, you know, if, if he had not been receptive, what do you think you would have done? Or, or what can folks do, you know, in terms of before money's available to try to get people together to talk about this? What advice do you have for them? Keep talking. Our, actually, our county ministry was very open to this too. So, and, and the other commissioners were open to it. I think that um, asking elected officials and, and uh, government people to step up and listen. And I think it's doable. We have had 100% support on all of our uh, broadband work from every commissioner, every city administrator, every it's, it's, it's also building those relationships. Every township has voted unanimously to support this stuff. That's a big deal. Like there's not a unit, lot of unanimity in townships from what I've seen. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's impressive. It, it doesn't just happen. So it shows you how important this is, how it cuts across um, political lines. Uh, but please go ahead on with the CARES Act. So when the CARES Act comes, the townships got $277,000 in our county. And um, so first thing I did in July is go out to all the townships and, and in some instances, give them the piece of paper to sign the request for the funds. And then I sent it in because the, the internet technology capacity to do some of this work is very challenging in some areas. And I know that in Blue Earth County, a lot of the townships didn't even apply. They went out and talked to them. And this was the advice of our emergency person. She said, take the piece of paper out there, have them sign it, send it in. The capacity for non-paperworks, non-paper stuff is challenging. I think we got $250,000 of that back for broadband. So it was because we had those initial conversations February each year, not this, this, not last year, this year, but February, the year before I had talked to the township officials group when they met in the county, we talked about broadband. So it's laying groundwork all the time for this connectivity, but we, we got all the townships stepped up and sent the money to the county for broadband work. Let's finish up with uh, the disappointing news, <laughs> the latest news, which is that, um, you know, the latest round of, of Minnesota's border to border grants, uh, you are uh, not listed unexpectedly because it sure looked like you had a very promising um, application or two. And uh, and what happened there? So we had two applications in and it was continu- building on the, the border to border grants last year. And ironically, it was building on the CARES Act dollars that laid that broadband fiber. It was building out that on that $500,000 of broadband fiber. And um, I have been worried about RDOF since I first heard of it because our CAF2 experience wasn't good. CAF2 was what 
four years ago now, and that money has yet to be spent in our county. Right. The um, And just for people who um, are, are certainly a little bit newer to this, um, these are both programs from the Federal Communications Commission that, that where folks in Washington, D.C. figure out how to spend money across the country without much regard for what folks there want. And so they um, gave in the Connect America Fund, which we call CAF, they gave a lot of money to the biggest carriers uh, in order to have them upgrade to service that we don't even consider broadband. Um, and in some cases, they didn't even do that, um, from what we can tell. And then that program was replaced, even though money's still going out the door for it. Money That program has been replaced by a program called ARDOF, which is the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, which was an auction in which anyone could participate. And many of us are deeply disappointed and concerned with the results but one of the one of the things to note is that once again you have communities like yours where you've done a lot of organizing you have strong preferences you've worked out partnerships and your voices were totally ignored in Washington DC and that is just frustrating had our applications been approved we would have fiber in the going into the ground this spring for 500 more households as a result we have no idea it's of when or if will will ever be able to get funding for those areas. Both Mapcom and Jaguar begged them to to apply. They looked at the census tracts. They didn't really make any sense from a business perspective. This, they were it was based on census tracts only and and huge chunks that don't even match up together and then it's the low bid. So for business-wise it didn't make sense to either of them to apply for the Ardoff dollars which is how we ended up with this two-thirds of the rest of our county going to LTD broadband and us and our current applications getting taken out of the mix because of it. Now, LTD was the biggest winner of the auction nationally. It is a company that um, I guess I would say if you look up their reviews, you find mixed reviews. Uh, they've mostly done wireless and they are going to be making a historic leap to supposedly build fiber to the home to many different states under a tight timeline uh, with amounts of subsidies that many believe won't work um, because it's just too low. So there are a lot of questions. This award could still be um, reversed by the FCC if they believe that, um, if they don't find that they believe this company could could handle it. But if the FCC moves forward with this, those areas of your county that you had a provider lined up for, wow, I bet you heard that. <laughs> My beagles are saying hi. If the FCC moves this award forward, uh, the the network in your area would not have to be completed until about seven years from now. Uh, the money will start next year. They'll have six years to get to 100% of addresses. And I mean, the fact that, that that's even uh, under consideration, again, is just is, is all mixed up. And it's a real big problem. So um, just, again, infuriating at the way this program has been designed. And it really pulls the rug out from under your feet. My preference would have been if the state of Minnesota had fought hard with the feds and said, take those census tracts out that are in these border border applications so we can move it and give us the money or take it back. It would have been a drop of the bucket of the $1.3 billion in this grant. It would have been so little to have taken out our census tracts. And I just think they should have fought hard with the feds to take those census tracts out and let these applications go through this year and figure it out down the road. Yeah, I think that it's not too late. It's not too late. I hope that Senator Tina Smith and Senator Klobuchar will fight hard because they could still make that. They could still say, disallow these areas. We've got this problem solved here. Uh, the FCC, I think, should be able to um, make a number of changes if it had the political desire. 
But they, but the awards for last year were announced yesterday and we're not in them. So we're out for this year. Yes. Um, that's a disappointing end, but at the same time, you've accomplished a lot. There's a lot of people who would be very thrilled to be in the position that, that you are. And, um, I hope that we find a resolution to this that doesn't involve waiting for seven years to then say, okay, well that didn't work. So what are we going to do now? Because that means basically waiting until 2029 to get these places connected well. And that, that's not a possibility. We need to do better than that. Well, and let me add that. So, you know, what does that mean for our planning for this year? Who knows? <laughs> but there are areas where our, we have we're organizing 15 households to uh, connect up to that fiber from CARES Act, and they pay part of it, and the township, the owners pay part of it. The township, we're looking at adding to the whatever we can, wherever we can, in some small areas, at least the patchwork in the meantime. And we'll look at what's not art off and what's left. I don't know if it's doable or not. We'll try to fit in those. You've seen those census check charts. They're horrible to try to figure out anything from that. It makes no sense that they're doing this by census track. But we're going to look at what's, what's left, who's out there that we could organize even as a neighborhood to and work with the township to get more areas added in, like the 12 that we added in with the CARES Act in a different telephone area. So losing this border to border grant this time is just really excruciating. We would have had about a quarter of our county would have been fiber to the door starting this year, this spring. It's extremely disappointing, but I, again, I'll just say um, you've done great work and, uh, and I have no doubt that you're still going to solve this a lot faster than some other places. <laughs> so thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Good talking to you. That was Christopher talking with Barbara Dreyer Klein. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 446 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>